Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Healing with Lori podcast. I am your host, Lori Rivers, and I'm here to guide you on your journey to wellness. Today, we're revisiting a conversation with the incredible Judy Cho of Nutrition with Judy. And this is from our 2021 Long COVID and MECFS Holistic Healing Summit. Now, Judy is a nutritional therapy practitioner, author of The Carnivore Cure, and a renowned expert in the field of nutrition. This is a great conversation, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. So here today with Judy Cho, who is a nutritional therapy practitioner and the author of an amazing book called The Carnivore Cure. Judy holds a psychology and communications degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and has a holistic health private practice that focuses on gut health and root cause healing. And we're a big fan of that. She also focuses on meat-based elimination diets. And I'm a big fan of elimination diets, especially when you're dealing with these chronic illnesses. Okay. So basically, Judy, you're a rock star in the nutrition world. Yeah. So we're going to be talking microbiome with you today. So Judy, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about gut health. Yes. Yes. And so just basic to start with, we're hearing microbiome all over the place these days, especially in the holistic health world. What is the microbiome? All it is, it's just really simplistically, it's a part of our body that is just a collection of virus, uh, fungus, and a lot of bacteria. And so a lot of the research has been done primarily on the bacteria. And so we can talk about different strains and things like that. But essentially, they consider the microbiome or um, the, the set of bacteria as our second brain. And so it will cause a lot of things to happen or not happen in the body. And that's really essentially the core of what the microbiome is. So you have a micro, you have a skin microbiome, but our biggest one is our gut microbiome. And that is mostly in a part of the large intestine called the cecum. And that's where all of that is housed. Again, the, some of the virus, the path, any of these gut bugs, and then the bacteria that's primarily housed in the cecum. And so whether it's stress, whether it's our lifestyle, whether we were born with a lot of a variety of bacteria, then they say our microbiome isn't as, I guess, balanced or there isn't a mu as much diversity. And the thing that's a little tricky with the microbiome, and maybe I'm, you know, a little rogue with this, is that we just don't know what we don't know, right? So there have been, there's been a lot of like DNA sequencing and then um, understanding kind of the lay of the land of, okay, these strains seem to do well. And these strains seem to do not so well in some people that are sick. And maybe it's the commonality of these bad strains. The thing is, we just don't know for certain. It's really important to have a good microbiome. But what does that mean? We're not entirely sure. So I guess the conventional thought is that diversity is super important. Eat a rainbow of foods. And also, I guess fiber is important because then it produces cer certain plant foods produce fibers that then have short-chain fatty acids. And that is fuel for your microbiome. And while that all may be true, I think the average person does eat a lot of fibrous foods and they do eat some of the rainbow, right? So the paleo diet, they eat a ton of rainbow foods, but they're not always getting better. We have to wonder, maybe there's more to it than what we think. I did a study with a doctor, I think he was in Sweden, and they did, they just published this study in gastro, BMC gastroenterology. 
And they showed that people that suffer with SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, when they implemented a carnivorous diet or a meat-based elimination diet, that got rid of the SIBO more than any other elimination diet, doing probiotics and all these other things. So again, if you eat just meat, your diversity is probably not going to be that much. And so we have to wonder, it is important to have a healthy, robust microbiome, but where, what does that mean? We're just not entirely sure. I just anecdotally in my practice seeing hundreds of meat-based clients. Now I've seen a lot of gut healing in ways that we don't require medicine to get to root cause healing. And so I am a, a specialist in gut health, but I don't do what the common, I guess, gut health practitioners say to eat a ton of fiber or eat the rainbow of plants. The rainbow of plants is a very new kind of thought. It's probably less than 50 years old. And we were healthier back yonder years with our gut health. So maybe we don't need to necessarily eat the rainbow of plants. Some people in the world just either shuddered or fell over or something. This idea, what you're talking about, is still fairly new to me as well. But as we've talked about in some of the with some of the other speakers, it makes sense because we didn't have access to all of these different plants and fruits as food 24-7 like we do now up until fairly recently in our development. So yeah, it makes sense, but it is, it, it's radical right now, what you just described. Yeah. So I think that in order to have good gut health, so if you suffer from colitis or autoimmune, a lot of those things stem from the gut. So that's where gut health is so important, right? Everything we do with our body, one, we need to make sure that we're eating really good foods for our body to be fueled properly. But secondly, we need the digestive process from all the way from seeing our foods and salivating all the way to having a bowel movement, we need that whole process to work really well. And so rather than just focusing on, okay, what strains make the perfect lay of the land in our gut, which we, again, don't 100% understand, but understanding that, okay, how can I heal if I have upper GI distress or if my small intestine is being impacted and if I have autoimmune disease, then oftentimes it's related to the small intestine because most of our immune health is in our small intestine. 70 to 80% of our immune cells are within our small intestine. But that is also where we absorb most of our nutrients. So then it becomes very obvious that we need really good gut health to then protect the rest of our body and have it fueled and so on and so forth. So the first thing I would say is, Rather than focusing on specifically the, again, the different microbes, so whether it's the bacteria, the fungus, the yeast, whatever this balancing is, focus on where are you having any gut health issues? So if it's that right after you eat, you feel bloated, you're starting to burp, well, it's probably upper GI related. I would look into stomach and gallbladder functioning. Maybe it's that you need a little bit more stomach acid. Maybe you don't have enough acid to break down your foods. And then as it goes and cascades down your digestive process, now it's broken from the top. If it's that all of a sudden you eat a lot of carby foods and then like fiber rich foods and then all of a sudden you have a lot of gas and you have like sharp stomach pains in your lower stomach area, maybe it's your small intestine. Maybe these fibrous foods are producing gas like methane and hydrogen that are causing distress. And then again, you may want to work on that. You may have to do some GI stool tests and other things to get to the root cause. But essentially, as you work on these different areas, you may want to take some probiotics. Probiotics can really live off of everything. Yes, 
maybe prebiotic foods will be more beneficial to feed them. But again, maybe it's okay that we're not eating prebiotic foods, right? I would say in my practice over two years now, most of my clients do not eat prebiotic foods. And but I have all different types of gut health issues, colitis, C. diff, MRSA, and SIBO and IBS and IBD and all that. But we've healed it or we've supported it with a meat-based elimination diet. And then as they heal and if they want to add back plants, then we start going with the safer, less anti-nutrient foods. If you think about what anti-nutrients are, it's essentially if you are have celiac disease and you're intolerant to gluten, gluten is an anti-nutrient. If you've ever had kidney stones and you need to remove after a kidney stone removal, they'll get you on a low oxalate diet, even though if the doctors don't explain it, but they'll say don't eat chocolate and spinach and almonds. Oxalates are again a anti-nutrient. So if you think about that, all plants have some amounts of anti-nutrients. And so when you reduce some of the anti-nutrients, then maybe you can incorporate some plants and figure out individually what makes sense for your own body. And that's the key to, I think, getting gut health is remove all the excess noise and then eat like the cleanest meat-based diet because no matter how messed up your gut is, your meat has the most bioavailable, nutrient-dense foods. So even if your gut has the lowest stomach acid, you have the highest chance of eating meat the way it is and then absorbing it versus with plants, you would have to digest, break down, convert it. Like so if you need to convert beta carotene to vitamin A, for example, you need to have that good gut health and then you can absorb it. And so if you look at all elimination diets, the one commonality is they remove different forms of plant foods, fruits, but they all have meat in their very first stage of their elimination diet, except for a vegan diet. But in general, whether it's like a GAPS diet, Whole30, all paleo, they all include meat in the very beginning. And so you have to wonder, why don't we just remove all plant foods and see if we can heal our gut that way so we have less gas, less bloat. We can heal the digestive process because less toxins in, then there's less immune responses, right? And then you would have less of an autoimmune response to other things. And then as you heal, then you can say, okay, here's what I want to slowly reintroduce. And the way to do that is essentially that you have less symptoms, right? So you have less flares, you have less chronic fatigue and whatever else you may be suffering with. Get to a baseline of where you feel pretty decent. And then you can figure out, okay, what else do I want to incorporate back? And that is the core of why gut health is so important rather than figuring out, okay, what strain should I map out? Because we just don't know. And a lot of the studies are based on like a standard American diet. But what if you don't eat that way? What if you eat paleo, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for people with long COVID and MECFS, so many of them have these gut, gut wrenching gut issues. Yeah. I remember when I, had it 20 years ago for eight years, very severely for the first two, maybe three years, alternating back and forth between diarrhea and constipation, which is not helpful for the body to heal when you're dealing with that. So yeah, being able to follow these and it makes it simpler to do the elimination diet. I know that because Moving to a ketogenic diet, to a paleolithic diet, it can get a little confusing. But with carnivores, it's meat. meat. I'm a big proponent of symptoms, right? So I know that there's always rules and everything, and I get it. And I think the reason they have rules is, generally speaking, the majority of the population can fit in these buckets. But 
in essence, what you really want to do is go by your symptoms. So if you're eating a pound of meat and it's ribeye or chicken or fish or whatever you're eating and your fatigue is less or you're just feeling a little better, then maybe you're fueling your body the right way and then you can continue to eat that way. But essentially, you are the master of your own body and you will know your body better than anybody can say, right? There's always miracles that happen in the body. So you should, I I always ideally recommend writing down what you're eating and then not necessarily tracking calories, but instead just figuring out how do I feel after this meal? How is my stool? How is my mood? And if you're if you noticed trends where, oh, if I eat just beef, I feel really good. Or if I eat just chicken or if I remove pork or whatever the thing is. And that's how you can find your own healing. There's always baselines that you can follow and trends and diets. But essentially, you have to find what works for you. But I always think starting with meat and then adding slowly back will be the easiest way that you can do it without a lot of complications. Now, yes. And we do get into some confusing areas when we think about things like candida die-offs. So let's say you're transitioning from a diet where you were eating carbs, maybe even sugar, maybe even a typical American diet, transitioning to, let's say, a carnivore elimination diet. And you are going to have this period where you feel pretty crappy, right? So it's hard to tell It's hard to use what you were saying to do that. Can you guide us there a little bit? Yes, this is where it becomes really individualized and bioindividuality is really important. So there is something, one, called the Herxheimer reaction or a Herx effect, where it's basically you may have detox symptoms. And so you're going to feel worse before you feel better. And so that is a fine line to walk is, okay. am I doing this diet longer than it probably I should? And then there's also maybe I'm not giving it enough time and letting the Herxheimer pass, or maybe I'm not eating the right macros, or maybe I'm under eating and just all these things. And that's where maybe getting a coach is really beneficial, maybe reading just some basic guides of how to do the diet. So you, again, generally get a guideline and then you can fix it how it works for you. With candida, as an example, oftentimes candida doesn't work on its own. So there's typically like heavy metals or there's parasites. Candida usually comes with something else. And so that's where maybe a stool test will be helpful. Testing can be beneficial. Not always. It really depends. But I guess in general, if you are following general guidelines of a new diet, and then let's say you give it about 90 days and you just don't feel any better, then I would start doing either some testing. And then just be honest with yourself. Have you really been eating that way for 90 days and following the general guidelines? (laughs) Have you been veering off on the weekends and eating all the carbs you want and then saying this diet isn't working? So there's an element of being honest. And then there's an element of, okay, I have tried it for 90 days. The other thing is I would make sure to get your blood work done, just a general panel at the very beginning before any new diet, and then do it about 90 days later. So then you can see I'm not feeling that great. I feel tired. But hey, my A1C or my inflammatory CRP marker looks better. Maybe it's actually working, right? So these are some, if you know that you have some baselines that you can refer back to, that's what will always be helpful. But long term, I guess I'm saying months in and if you are feeling better, that's a good sign. And then if you're not, I just have a hard time thinking of any diet that at least at a baseline of starting with just meat that you can't get better. It doesn't mean that you have to just stay with meat, but figuring out 
maybe I need to pull a different lever before saying I'm going to give up and go somewhere else because all other diets, again, include meat, but they have all the other anti-nutrients, which let's just say that anti-nutrients aren't a thing. But one, we need good gut health to break down and um, convert any type of plant foods, even the fibers. We need to convert it to short chain fatty acids that then has the butyrate that then fuel our gut. What if our small intestine isn't working? How do you know that the fiber is just not going to come out and as poop, right? And then the other thing is all the toxins that they spray on on our plant foods, right. the pesticides, herbicides, even for organic variety, they just use quote unquote safer ones, but they use it in more frequency and um, they use a lot more. So the question, is it really good for us, especially for suffering with disease? And these are just thoughts that you have to consider that if a meat-based diet isn't working, that I would consider levers, different types of meat, obviously stick to whole foods, and then figure out from there what makes sense. Maybe you need to get a coach for a session or two and figure out, here's all the stuff I'm doing. Am I doing something wrong? Essentially, pull different levers. And then if it doesn't work, then yeah, you may have to try something different. But I haven't seen anyone that didn't have some type of healing with a meat-based elimination diet. So when you say pull different levers, what what am I? Yeah, what exactly does that mean? So it can be macros, right? I will see women generally uh, grew up in the low fat, low fat period where they're like, I can't eat fat, right? Fat makes me fat. And so then they'll just eat the lean meats of maybe so their total caloric distribution is maybe 50% fat and 50% protein. But it's really hard to eat a lot of protein. And so what will end up happening is they'll eat not enough calories. And so then they'll say, oh, my thyroid isn't working as well, or I'm starting to lose my hair on a carnivore diet or a meat-based diet. And you, then you, when I look into their calories, it's, oh, maybe you should dial up the fat. And as much as they don't want to do it, I'll say, try a little bit of butter, maybe do some lard, some suet, some tallow, whatever fat you prefer. And then as we also increase the calories, we see some healing. So that's one lever. Another lever is like I was saying is get a stool test or you could take the candida test, although not all of them are accurate, but you could do that. And it's just figuring out what avenues can I look into to see why I'm not working. If you still have low energy and now your energy is worse on a meat-based diet, you may want to get your hormone panel done. So is it affecting your hormones? Am I not eating enough? Am I fasting too much? All of these things are levers. It's just what I really mean is just Are there different options that you can try before you say, no, I'm going to go back to a standard American diet, which we know has a lot of nutrient poor foods and causes more inflammation and more and more of an immune response when we're eating foods that are foreign to our body? Yeah. Yeah. So I love the visual. I just wanted to get. Yeah, that makes it very clear. And I had this this realization maybe a month or two ago that when we started creating things like pastas and cereals and things like that, we started fortifying them. Absolutely. And we're fortifying them for a reason because they're missing these vital nutrients in them. So we have to pump them full of vitamins that would be naturally occurring and other things. So yeah, I was like, Yeah. One thing I'll say about that is, so I I used to think about that too. It's whenever there were deficiencies, the governments would then add whatever nutrient deficiencies, instead of saying, maybe we should go back to eating meats that have the bioavailable nutrients. Maybe it's because we thought it had heart disease. I'm not sure. But 
essentially, though, if you think about it, we get concerned about the vitamins we pick, right? So we go to a supplement shop and we're like, some of these supplements are made from poor materials. And then some of them are made with good um, ingredients. So do you really think a food supply company, knowing all of that, would actually use high quality fortification supplements? That's the part that scares me is, okay, we get really picky when we're picking supplements. But when we eat these pastas, they are not, they're probably getting the whatever baseline cheapest vitamin A or iron that they add to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there are studies where I, I heard that some Cheerios, they add iron and it's literally iron filings, which is so toxic for the body. Right. Because there's no one that's checking. Let's see what synthetic fortified vitamins you're putting to your foods. Are they even high quality? It's not monitored. Yeah. So if you know that supplements can be less than ideal in the supplement form, imagine how it is in the food form where they're not regulated whatsoever. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. 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 It's just, (laughs) it's interesting to look at all of it and how it progressed. So for when, when you're working with people, let's say who have something like chronic fatigue syndrome, like long COVID, these fatigue syndromes, these gut issues as well. Do you recommend probiotics? I do for a lot of my clients only because if you've been on antibiotics, there are some studies that show that several years um, into taking antibiotics, it will still take that much longer for your your good gut bugs to grow. Uh, We just don't know. There's some people say two years, some people say just a few months. We just don't know the answer to that. And we are taking more and more antibiotics. And not only is it antibiotics, we use hand sanitizers all the time. It's antibacterial, right? We eat carrots that the organic version, they use citrux, which is an antibacterial. So if you're eating carrots that have that on them and the carrot bag says you don't have to wash it. So you're eating that liquid that's an antibacterial. So you're, again, killing microbes. Glyphosate on GMO foods. What it does, uh, the GMO, the glyphosate, it kills a bacteria that basically, it has a toxin that basically kills the shikimate pathway, which in essence, it kills your bacteria. So it may not kill human cells and why it's been considered safe, but it actually kills our own microbiome, our bacteria cells. And that's one of the other dangers of eating genetically modified foods, especially with glyphosate. So knowing all of this, we are probably we probably have less bacteria than we ideally want. And so I have seen a lot of healing by taking probiotics. Now, there's so many probiotics. So the question always becomes, what do I have to take? And that's enlightening episode with Nutrition with Judy. I hope that you found our conversation as insightful and inspiring as I did. And for the full interview, you can go to www.longcovidsummit.com or mecfssummit.com. And just remember that this journey to wellness is a continual process. And so you're going to be constantly shifting and changing it, but also knowing that every step that you take towards better nutrition is a step towards a healthier you as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our podcast for more holistic healing discussion. And don't forget to share your thoughts and experiences in the comments. I love, love, love hearing from you. And I'll see you in the next episode of Holistic Healing with Laurie.